like in construction or a building? What's the plumb line? What's the plumb line? Anybody? Just say it out loud if you know it. Say that again. Straight line, right? Right. So basically, like practically, it's a line that has a weight on it, right? And it has a weight on it, and you, you attach it to the top, and you drop this weight so that the line goes down straight. And so when you're building something, the last thing you want to do is if you're building something, you don't want it to be off a little bit, right? Because if it's off a little bit, what happens? It's it all crooked. It doesn't, it's not built straight. It's kind of like a level. If you, didn't have a, if you don't have one of those like, fluid, liquid level things, that's what a plumb line is used for. Plumb lines are, for us, phrases or little pithy sayings that help us stay on our goal. We have a series of plumb lines here at Waypoint Church that help us stay on our goal, which is what we talked about last week. Our mission statement or our goal is this. We exist to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. So our plumb lines exist so that we can create a culture that works towards that goal. So today and next week, we're going to dive into our plumb lines as we dive into scripture together. So let's dive into scripture together. Revelation chapter 5, one of the most beautiful pictures of the coming kingdom. One of these pictures that I think have been preached on multiple times. One of these pictures that I want us to really understand and grab a hold of. John wrote this on the Isle of Patmos, and he had this beautiful vision into the throne room. And he says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Guys, starting off before anything else, foundationally, what I want us to see out of this text is this. Our God is king and sovereign, and he holds the destiny of the world within his hands. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. In Revelation chapter 4, the, the key to understanding chapter 4 is to see the word throne is mentioned 17 times. Chapter 4 establishes the throne of chapter 5. In other words, it's the utmost importance to understand that God is sovereign. God is in charge. God is on the throne. I don't want you to miss that. That is foundational to our understanding. That is foundational to our theology. That is foundational to our living. God is enthroned. He is sovereign and he holds the destiny of the world in his hand. He is no doddering idiot up in heaven hoping that someday we'll get our act together. He's, he's not a, a God up there in heaven that just kind of set the world into motion and said, ah, forget about you. He's not an absentee father. God is king and he is enthroned and he holds the world in his hand. The destiny of the world. He's sovereign king over everything. Our foundation of the church in accomplishing his mission is understanding that it is God's mission and all by his power and through his authority. This gives us confidence and freedom. I want you to listen very carefully to this. Our calling in this mission is not necessarily to be fruitful, but it's to be faithful. 
Hear this, hear me very well. The calling that God's called you to be as a Christian is not necessarily to be the most fruitful, but it is always to be the most faithful. See, when we advance, exist to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples, we actually mean we exist to be faithful to those whom God has called us to and trust that God is going to produce the fruit and that God is going to produce the disciples. See, when we believe foundationally that God is sovereign and that God is the one who produces, then with utmost confidence we can do the mission that God has placed upon us, knowing that it's not on us to save anybody. Trusting that God is sovereign. He holds the destiny of the world in his hand. We are just called to be faithful to what God's called us to do. There is a level of freedom that comes from my son has a project to do. And he's helping me with the project. But if I said, son, you're on your own. I'm gone. Peace out. Go do whatever the project it is to do. And I'll come back. And you better, when I come back, you better have done a great job. There's that reality for my son. Or there's another reality that says, son, just do what I've called you to do. Because I'm with you. I'm helping you. And we're going to accomplish this incredible mission together. We're going to build that project together. And it's going to be beautiful. And I don't need you, son. But, man, when you work with me. When we come together, when you bake that cake together with your mom, she didn't need you to bake that cake, right? She didn't need you to mess up her measurements. She didn't need you to lick the, the batter. She didn't need you to do all that. But she, she wanted you to be a part of that process. She wanted you to feel the joy of making something beautiful together, something fruitful together. Hear this, and hear this very well. In this mission that we call our lives, in the mission that God's placed upon you, God had all capability, all power to do that and accomplish everything. But he chose to work with you, to call us to this incredible purpose. But our foundation is this, God is sovereign. He is king, he is enthroned. He will accomplish his purposes. Do you hear that? That is freeing. That is empowering to us. Verse 2, and it says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he could open the scroll and his seven seals. Why was John weeping when he saw that no one could open the scroll? The implication here is that he wanted the scroll open. The idea here is we would want the scroll opened. The idea is that it's the destiny of the world is in the hands of God. And we want to see it open. We want to see this destiny, this fulfillment. And what was promised fulfillment? What was the promise to the people? Is that there will be a kingdom one day. That a kingdom will come and where God will be our God and we will be his people and he will be our great reward. So this is a future kingdom. Guys, when we look around and we see tragedy, we see genocide, we see slavery, we see human trafficking, we see people suffering all the time. We see racism and hatred. We see bigotry. We look around and we're with John. We say, God, we want to see your future reality. Don't we? God, I want to see what's in that hand. God, I want to see the kingdom that you promised. I want to see the place where we weep no more. Where the lion lays down next to the lamb. 
And so John is sitting here and he's weeping because no one is worthy to open the scroll to finish the work of God. No one is worthy to open the scroll to see this coming reality, this kingdom come that we all so desperately want to see. But then comes the one. But then comes, he's weeping because this beautiful kingdom can't happen because no one was worthy. But then comes the one who's able to open the scroll. Comes the line of the tribe of Judah. He appears as a lamb that was slain. He is worthy because he has conquered. How? It says he's conquered in verse 9. It says they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The line of the tribe of Judah is worthy because he conquered, not with a sword, not with a chariot, not with a missile, not with a gun. But he conquered by sacrificing himself, by becoming the lamb that was slain. And in so doing, he ransomed a people for God. He suffered as a lamb. He was marred. He was despised. He was rejected. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted. He was wounded. He was chastised. He was oppressed. He was pulverized in our place. And all who hide under the banner of his blood will be saved. The Lamb of God not only endured death in our place, but he has defeated death by his power. And he bears the scar of that death, yet he is sovereign over it. He is king over it. So John weeps no more. We weep no more because the beautiful and majestic kingdom of God is here and it is coming because of the work of Jesus. Not good deeds, not done by people, not conquering armies, not military might, not good intentions or, or thoughts, but the kingdom is experienced because of the work of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? This leads us to one of our plumb lines that we believe over and over again here at Waypoint Church is we believe that we live in an intentionally diverse community only by the gospel but also for the gospel. I'll say that again. We live in an intentionally diverse community by the gospel and for the gospel. See, what I said here was that we weep no more because the kingdom is here and it is coming. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. How is it both here and coming? Here's the reality. When Jesus came and he lived his life, he inaugurated. In other words, he started his kingdom. Right? He went here and he lived his life of love and he showed us what it looked like. to. He started, he said, okay, the kingdom's here. He planted his flag. He said, this is the kingdom. And it's here. And it's glorious. But he also did something else. He commissioned us to be his army. He commissioned us to say, go, bring it forth, advance it. It's here. I've set the, the standard. I've set the front. But now you go and carry it forth. See, the kingdom is here. It started, but it's not finished yet. It's not consummated yet. The kingdom is, but it's coming. And we spoke last week, the twofold purpose of the local church is this. One is to be the preview, the coming attraction of that kingdom come. We're supposed to be the ones that look like that kingdom. We're supposed to, by the way we love each other and serve each other, we look at, while we exist in diverse community together, we look like the kingdom, a place where there is no more weeping, 
a place of love where race and ethnic and social economic status doesn't divide us. A place where people just love because they've first been loved radically. And so we exist in this community to show that off. So that, that's one of our plumb lines then is because of the work of Jesus that says that we all enter into this community together only by his grace. We exist in an intentionally diverse community because we want to show people that the kingdom is coming. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Mind you, there's a, there's a word at the very beginning of it. We live in intentional, intentionally diverse community. Guys, can I tell you this? Does, that takes work, doesn't it? Nod your head if you understand what I'm saying. Because it's so easy as human beings to congregate and to flock to people who look like you, think like you, and it's easier to talk to. Right? If you have a lot of shared experiences, then it's easier for you to relate to that person, isn't it? If you're really wealthy, it's easier to talk to really wealthy people. Right? If you're really poor, it's easier to talk to really poor people. If you have similar levels of education, it's easier to hang out with those people. If you're culturally, racially, ethnically from similar backgrounds, it's much easier to congregate to just one people group, isn't it? But we say we are intentional about putting forth the work of living in diverse communities. Because we believe when we do so, we show a picture of this Revelation chapter 5, of every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered together in worship. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Don't we want to show the world the kingdom and say it's a beautiful place and it's coming? How do I know it's coming? Because it's happening right here. That's what we want to show the world. So we do it intentionally. Not, we know it's not easy. But it's worth it. Because it's also for the sake of the gospel. Because we only do it by the gospel. But we do it for the sake because when people, can I tell you this, especially in America right now, when people see people willing to sacrifice and intentionally live in diverse communities together, people look and stop and say, how and why? They say, okay, first of all, why? Then they say, how? And when we can say, because we're all sinners in need of grace. Because our identifying factor is not our race, our political alignment, or our education or economic status, but our identifying factor is that we're all sinners who need Jesus. Man, does that not share the gospel? Does that not preach itself? This is what we do in intentional community. This is the reality that Jesus calls us to. And it shows the picture of this kingdom. Moving on, it says, verse 9, they said, I'll say it again. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. 
Do you hear the cries of the elders and the living creatures? Worthy is the lamb. Blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Please don't let those words just roll over you. Worthy is the lamb. With a heartfelt cry, worthy is he. He conquered by dying. He took on our sin. He gives us righteousness. He is worthy. Worthy of all nations worshiping him. He's worthy of all people crying out to him. He is worthy. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe he is worthy? Hear me very well. Our heartbeat, our motivation at Waypoint Church in missions, our purpose in reaching the unreached people groups is that needs to be the glory and praise of our king. Our heartbeat and our worship is because Jesus is worthy of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worshiping him. Because he is worthy of every people group worshiping him. So we want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because he is worthy. Do you hear that? Guys, our motivation for missions isn't because God needs us up in there and he's up in heaven. Kind of like, I'm not going to figure it out. I'm not going to fulfill my plan without them. No. Our motivation for missions is because Jesus is worthy of all praise from all peoples. That drives us. That moves us. David Platt says passion comes from people who know that our sovereign God deserves the praise of not just 10,000 people groups on the planet, but all 16,000 of them. And we're not going to stop until every single people group purchased by Christ is exalting his name. Amen. Which leads us to kind of our main plumb line of our church. We believe with all our hearts that every member is a missionary. Every member is a missionary. We're all called to be missionaries. We exist to do this work. We don't exist to make our church members happy or to feel good about ourselves. We don't exist to throw great parties, even though we throw great parties. That's not why we exist. We don't exist to have people respect us. We don't exist to, to look good and to feel good about ourselves and pat ourselves in the back on Sunday morning. We exist to bring glory to the Lamb who was slain. We exist so that the nations will worship him. We are all called to be missionaries, every single one of us from the youngest to the oldest, from the poorest to the richest, from the sickest to the healthiest, all of us. That is our purpose. That is why we exist. We believe that missions is doing what God has called you to do where he's called you to do it, where he's ordained you to do it, where he's privileged you to do it. Do you hear me? Missions is doing what God has called you to do where he's ordained you to do it. What that means is, is that being a missionary doesn't only mean going to Gambia and sharing the gospel to the Janka, although that is a huge part of it. It means that being a missionary means that you are a person who lives on mission. That means your work, your relationships, your life, your community, you live intentionally to fulfill the mission that God has placed upon you. The mission is advancing the kingdom of God by making disciples of every tribe, tongue, and language. Let me give you a few examples from people in our church. I'm not highlighting them because they're good people or better people or anything like that. I'm highlighting them because I want to give you good examples of imperfect people who are looking and trying to live on mission as missionaries. We have a family, the Dalek family. Tom Dalek is uh, the regional director for apartment life, and he's a member of this church. 
and he tries to live his life intentionally on mission. Him and his family actually try to model what his organization, apartment life, uh, lives for. The goal of apartment life is to get people intentionally moving into this apart- certain apartments, and they live in such a way that they do the organization of all the recreational activities, all the community building elements of the apartment, and so they intentionally do- move into this apartment and build relationships in the apartment. And so he tries to model that by in the, the community that he lives in. So he's on the recreation committee. He's on the, these different committees in the neighborhood because he wants to live life in such a manner that everybody in his neighborhood knows who Jesus is. So also, actually, are the petties. Candace and Jason feel that the way they're called to make disciples is to adopt and foster children and help others to do so. That is their mission that God has given them. This is the mission that God has called them to do. See, this is doing what God's called them to do where he's ordained them to do it. He's ordained them to do it here in Durham. And he's called them to adopt and foster children. And not only that, to help others. So Landon and Caleb are now adopted into their home. And little Ava is with them as well with the potential also to be possibly adopted. They want others here to see the gospel call to foster and to adopt. They are living as missionaries in the way God's called them to live. A young man in our church named Ross lives intentionally in refugee-heavy apartment complex because he feels his mission is to reach the nations that don't know Jesus. He also believes, and I'm using him as an example because um, I was going to make fun of him because about imperfect people who look goofy, doing good, but he's not here, so now I'm upset about it. I could have used somebody else. Very disappointed in this. I was going to say imperfect, goofy people, but then I'm like, oh, he's not here. But he lives in such a way that he says, I want to live in a community that has a heavy refugee uh, component of people living there so that I can share the gospel with those who don't know, who never grew up hearing the gospel. There are many others in our church who do the same thing. Guys, these are just examples of normal people. In Ross's case, not so normal, kind of goofy. No, this is all, this has been so much better if he was here. <laughs> called to be missionaries by an incredible God. Every one of us are called to be missionaries. Every member is a missionary. I use three different examples because there are three different situations, but there's millions of examples of what God has called you. Maybe he's called you to, to serve um, by teaching ESL. But it's not just one element of your life we're talking about. We're talking about how do you live your life, your workplace, the way where you eat, the, the, the people you hang out with, where you, whatever you do. Are you doing with intentionality as a missionary? See, here's the crazy thing. Like, I was talking to Josh. As missionaries overseas, when he lived in Morocco, it wasn't so much the element of, like, he wasn't every day preaching the gospel on a big podium somewhere. Maybe that's our idea. Maybe we have the wrong idea of what missionaries are. It's not like you're every day leading crusades where thousands of people are hearing the gospel. What Josh was doing as a missionary was he was just living life with intentionality. He was living everyday life with gospel intentionality. What he was doing is by the the relationships he built, the way he worked at his job, the way he raised his family, the way he invited the community in, the way he had tea with people. He just, every little bit of his life was said, my life is on mission. What's your life about? What are you living for? Is it for the glory of the Lamb? 
Does that desire to see all nations and people move you to live in such a way? Now, my examples that we used were people who are here locally, but it does not take away from the call to go internationally. Hear me very well. We are all also called to, to go. John Piper said this, that we are one of three things. We're either a goer to the nations, a sender, or we're disobedient. We're either a goer, a sender, or disobedient. We're all called to be missionaries to the nations. Guys, can I tell you that global missions is tragically neglected. There are over 2 billion people in the world today are classified as unreached. Which doesn't mean just unsaved, but that means the gospel is simply not accessible to them. There are over 2 billion people where the gospel is not even accessible to them. Over 6,000 people groups with over 2 billion people in them are not yet reached with the gospel. 6,000 people groups. For every $100 a Christian in North America makes, an average of 5 cents goes to the unreached. If we believe that the lamb is worthy of praise from every tribe, every people group, what are we doing as Christians in America? We are called to go. We are called to send. Every single member is called to the nations. It just might not be the same way. We're all called to be missionaries. So that challenge to you is this, what is God calling you to do now, and where is he calling you to do it? You need to be asking him, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to speak into you, God, what have you called me to do as a missionary here? What is your mission for me here? And you need to also say, God, what are you called me to give? How are you called me to move? And then you say, God, how also have you called me to pray? How can I pray for the nations? Because we believe here that prayer is God's appointed means of enacting his will, which is what we'll talk about next week as one of our plumb lines. So you need to be praying. You need to be giving. You need to be asking God, what is my call now? But guys, can I just say this to you very clearly? With all the passion in my heart that I can convey, you need to fall so deeply in love with the Lamb. The lamb that was slain, the lamb that purchased for us right relationship with God, our entry into this family together, the one who ransomed us as a tribe, as a holy people, as a royal priesthood, as a kingdom of priests, do you love him so and do you crave to see his name exalted? Will you go and will you send? And will you live your life as a missionary? Let's pray. God, we, we're amazed in it all at the work of Jesus. While we were sinners, he pursued. While we did nothing to earn his love, he gave it freely. And so the lion that became the lamb, we have relationship. So thank you for Jesus. God, may we 
God, may we see that we're either a goer or a sender or we're disobedient. God, may you reveal to us the mission you've placed upon us. We know the overall mission. Will you give us now the specific way that we're called to live out that mission? God, your, your move, your will, God, what you want us to do in the place that you want us to do it. God, will you show it to us so powerfully. May we fall so deeply in love with the Lamb that we want to see his name lifted high. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to partake in communion together, and I love it because we get to do this as a family time. So when I was a, when I was a kid, um, my parents worked till really late. My parents got home about 8.45 at night. And so we would have like a snack. My, my sister and I would have a snack before my parents would get home. But my parents were always insistent, that we always loved it, that we would have family dinner together. It didn't make sense because it was right before bedtime. So some of you guys are like, oh, nutritionally, it's probably not a good thing or whatever. But that was, for us, something special that we did as a family. My sister and I would eat probably a little something earlier. But when my parents came, they'd come home from work at 8.45. We'd come and we'd sit down. And even if my sister weren't eating, we'd sit at the table with them. And we'd eat something small. And we'd partake in family dinner together. And it was our time to catch up, to talk, to, to see what was happening. But also our time to, to center ourselves into the mission and goal of our family. You know, I say that a lot because back then, we, I kind of had to grow up early, young, because we were in a struggling situation. So we knew what the, the hardships were as a, as a family, so we kind of embraced them together. And here we are, we get to partake in communion, which is a family meal. As a family, because we're a family purchased and brought together by the blood and work of Jesus. And as we partake, and as we take of the body, and as we take of the blood, we get to be reminded of the purchase of the sacrifice of Jesus. As we receive this incredible bestowment of grace, we also are united in our mission together. Just like our family meal times, when we got together with my family, we also pointed and directed once again to the purpose of our family, not just so that I can have somebody to complain to or somebody who's just taking care of me, but instead we say, you provide all. I always, for our parents, it was always a Korean tradition that we have to thank them for the meal and we have to wait for my parents to eat first and all this kind of legalistic kind of stuff, but it actually pointed a picture. It painted a picture that said they were the one that we respect and honor and that provided this meal for us. And as we come to the table, it paints the picture. It shows us that Jesus provided our entryway for us. And it unites us as a family as we partake of this meal together on the purpose and mission. That the blood, body that was broken and the blood that was shed brought us together, but it's also given to us so that we can share it and give it to the world.